0: Sometimes, when you visit the home of your grandmother, or even great-grandmother, you might see an old black-and-white photo hanging on a wall. Only the photo has hung there for decades, and for part of each day, the sun shines on it. So now the photo is a bit yellowed, and the images on it are washed out and faded a bit. Things are a little hard to make out. Well, sometimes very familiar Bible stories can be like that. They've hung on the walls of our hearts for a long time, and so maybe some details have faded. It's easy to miss seeing some things. The Christmas story is surely like that, but today on Groundwork, let's dig into Luke 2 to see if we can bring back to our eyes things that have faded a bit. Stay tuned.
1: Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney.
0: And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, we've come to the fifth program of our Advent and Christmas series, which means this is our Christmas program. We've looked at the Magi, John the Baptist's parents, Zechariah Elizabeth, the Archangel Gabriel announcing to Mary she would bear the Messiah. We've looked at Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, and now we go to Bethlehem, Luke 2.
1: This story has a lot of verses to it, and there's a lot of detail that Luke himself, the historian, wanted to make sure that we didn't miss. I think that if we didn't have this story, we probably wouldn't have had a whole lot of the Christmas programs (laughs) that our children have been in on Sundays. My sons have played sheep and shepherds and Joseph, um, even baby Jesus at some point. But this story has those details in it that are central to the nativity.
0: Yeah. Good thing we got Luke. Matthew just gives us a couple short verses. We looked at that in the previous program. Mark skips Christmas altogether. He leapfrogs ahead to Jesus' baptism. John kind of talks about the incarnation, but it does it from such a lofty theological cosmic, yeah, bird's eye view. You wouldn't get a Sunday school Christmas pageant out of that. So other than the Magi from Matthew two, which we actually end up weaving into Luke two, even though they're not in there. Luke gives us everything we associate. We wouldn't have a manger scene in the world, Daryl. There wouldn't be any front yard crash if it weren't for Luke.
1: So let's pick up in verse one. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Cornelius was the governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David.
0: So mostly, Dara, what we know about the first three verses here is that a lot of children in those Sunday school programs have a Dickens of a time pronouncing Quirinius. And usually we heave a sigh of relief if the kid gets through uh, Caesar (laughs) Augustus and Quirinius without uh, tripping over their own words. And then the story really begins, we think, in verse four. You know, Luke didn't throw in those historical details just for the sake of history. You know, It wasn't like, I mean, if today we said, well, this happened when Richard Nixon was president. Well, if you know your history, that means early 1970s. But that's not what Luke was doing. He wasn't just fixing the date. He had something more clever in mind by putting in these bigwig Roman names.
1: The fact that he writes about these powerful and elite people is a strategy that he is using to get everybody's attention for this reason and how we talked about in early episodes that God
0: might be doing something unexpected here. Exactly. Caesar had all the power. Um, Rome ruled. It was the time of the famous Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And the reason there was Roman peace is that Rome's armies were so powerful, nobody dared take them on. Nobody dared challenge them. Rome controlled the trade routes. They levied all the taxes. Roman centurions and soldiers were everywhere. Marble statues of Caesar were everywhere. Every coin had Caesar's picture on it, along with the words deus et dominus. God and Lord Caesar, he was the guy, he's the man, he is in charge
1: and so Caesar and Rome they are the world power at this time they are dominating every situation every circumstance affecting the lives of those great and small and Luke says that's not where you're supposed to be focusing your attention Hmm. you're supposed to be focusing your attention on this lowly baby born in a manger in uh, out back skirts of town in Bethlehem you're supposed to be focused on him his power is going to upend all those other powers, which is the irony of this passage,
0: Scott. Exactly. Yep. We So often in history, we so often look the wrong way. (laughs) You know, we so often look the wrong direction. Everybody thought Caesar held all the strings. They were all puppets on the end of his strings. But somewhere out there in diapers, uh, Luke is saying, somebody more powerful than all of them was getting quietly born in a barn, of all places, to two ordinary low-income parents. This is where the salvation of the world Is found. It's beautiful
1: that God would use a family, a small family, with the fixed income of a carpenter to bring the savior of the world in. It shows that our great God has a plan that starts small with ordinary, regular people. It gives me hope to know, because I'm ordinary, (laughs) I am an ordinary person, and I have a lot of mistakes and flaws in my life, but that does not negate the fact that God can still walk and use me or you or anyone else to bring glory to his name. And that is what he does with Joseph and Mary.
0: You know, one of my favorite children's books, it's kind of a, mostly a picture book, it's by Eve Bunting, and the title is We Were There. And it's a clever book, Daryl, uh, because it shows us uh, um, some of the least desirable creatures on Earth, uh, a cockroach, a warty toad, a rat a scorpion, a snake, and they're all going somewhere. And in the story, it turns out all these yucky, what we would say yucky, creatures are all going to Bethlehem. And in the story, they all find their way to the stable where Jesus was born, and they all stand off in a corner. And they say, you know, uh, nobody noticed us standing here. Everybody saw the cows and the donkeys, uh, but we were there. We were there. And Eve Bunting in that very clever story was making a great theological point. Jesus came for scorpions and cockroaches and for all the lowly creatures of the earth, as you just said, Daryl. That includes you and me and really all of us.
1: What's interesting is that Jesus himself took on the nature of a lowly and despised person, which Isaiah 53 picks up. Mm -hmm. He is modeling this point, but he's also making room for us because the world would say the rich, the elite, the powerful. If you're born in the right family, these are the ones you need to focus on. They're the movers and the shakers. But God is saying, no, you're looking in the wrong direction. Look at the Messiah who's coming in a meek and lowly and humble way. Uh, situation, And it's really powerful to see that the lesser folks in history are the ones that God is using to bring glory to his name. And speaking of lesser folks in history, let's meet some in the next part of this episode. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes groundwork possible.
0: I'm Scott Jose along with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork. And Daryl, let's get right back into Luke 2 and pick up where we left off. Jesus has just been born, he's been laid in the manger, and we read. Verse 8 And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about.
1: So we got another situation where the message of the good news is going to not the elite, not the powerful, not the ones that are in ivory towers or in the rich places, but they're coming to some common shepherds who are living out in the fields nearby. And so God is getting that message out. Into regular and common folks, it's another part of what Luke is trying to get across.
0: You know, we said at the outset of this episode, Daryl, that uh, we made the comparison to old faded photographs on your grandma's wall. You know, that the details have washed out, and for a lot of us, this familiar story is like that, and so we we tend to skip over stuff. But let, let's just stop on a line that we usually don't stop on: living in the fields. The shepherds were living in the fields. Just stop right there. Would you want to live in a field? right? Do most of us live... Do you know anybody who lives in the field? I mean, at most, if we think about living in a field, we might think about going camping. Right. You know, we call it roughing it, right? Because you don't have central heat or central air. You don't have your usual stove and refrigerator. You cook over an open fire. And it's kind of fun for a week, for me, a day. But, <laughs> you know, some people like to camp. But even people who like to camp say that will be good to get back home. I could use a hot shower, you know. So when you live out in the fields, you are disadvantaged. These shepherds weren't camping. This is where they lived, in the fields. And we sometimes skip over that and don't realize what it implies for who they were
1: who might they be? Might they be the homeless person that lives under the underpass of the bridge? Might they be the ones that live in the street corners with the signs? They're not the rich, they're not the elite, they're not the popular, and they have no roof over their heads, literally. These are the people God chooses to bring the message of hope to. It's a stark contrast to the elite people Mm. that Luke started this verse talking about, but the message of hope still comes to those who are on the fringes, those who have lack, those who don't have everything that they need and they don't look like they're successful according to society's eyes.
0: The angel of the Lord didn't go to Caesar's palace. Uh, He didn't go to Quirinius' house in Syria. Uh, He went to the tents uh, of these men who, as you said, Daryl, yeah, maybe they'd be like the homeless today. Maybe they'd be like the destitute, the people living on the fringes of society. That is where the angels went to. It's just like what we saw a couple episodes ago. Didn't expect Gabriel and Nazareth in Mary's bedroom, but there he was appearing to this young girl. God is doing that all the time. It's really become kind of the theme of this series, actually, Daryl, over and over again. God reverses expectations by revealing himself up to the least likely of people.
1: The ones that society would say are least likely, the ones who society would say are least worthy are the ones that God is doing his upside down reversal thing again with. And he's showing the best plan, the redemptive plan. The world was shunned over to the side and moved to the margins. That gives me hope, Scott, because sometimes I compare myself, which I shouldn't do. I compare myself to people who have more than me that do more than me. But I realized that it's because of God's grace that anyone can come to him and anyone who receives that message with humility, God could use great or small.
0: You know, a lot of us are probably familiar with the Charlie Brown Christmas special. It was back favorite. to the early 1960s when I was born, so it's been around a while. Uh, and A lot of us have seen it, and we might remember that one of the characters, uh, one of the lesser characters in the Charlie Brown cast was Pigpen. Uh, this obviously, uh, uh, maybe, I don't know if he was a homeless boy, but he was from a poor home, and he was he was dirty. He was dirty, and whenever Pigpen moved, clouds of dust yeah. would go up from his shirt and his body. The The woman who played, the little girl who played his wife, was a little girl with naturally curly hair, and she complained in the special. She didn't want to act with pig Pen because the dust from him was taking the curl out of her naturally curly hair. Charles Schultz, uh, the cartoonist, I think knew what he was doing, Daryl. He was reminding us shepherds were undesirable. Well-groomed people in society also back then didn't want to hang around with shepherds. They smelled, they had body odor, they were dirty, uh, they were despised, and they were God's kind of people. And there's
1: something else too, Scott, that we sometimes miss in the verses. If we look again and we listen to what the angel tells these lowly fellows, here is what he says in verse 11. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The words to you are the very distinct thing that I think we glaze over quite a bit.
0: Yeah, it should pop out at us, but we've we've again we've become so accustomed to reading this we kinda forget it. But that's an odd way to put it. A baby has been born to you. When our first child was born, while well, I was serving as a pastor at my first congregation, she was born at 6 o'clock on a Sunday morning, so I didn't make it to church that morning. <laughs> so the head of our elders um, stood up uh, and made the announcement, uh, this morning, Scott and Rosemary had a baby girl, uh, and everybody was glad, but it would have been weird if the elder had said, this morning, a baby has been born to you, oh church. No, the baby wasn't born to the congregation, it was born to me and my wife. And yet here, Daryl, the angel says this Savior was born to you, to you shepherds out in the fields, to you shunted aside shepherds. He's born to you. That's amazing.
1: Again, we're pointing back to the irony that Luke is bringing. He's trying to make sure that everyone knows that Jesus is the Messiah to the world, to those who are put on the margins, to those who are put on the fringes. And he says, this savior has been born to you and not to the ones that the world thinks are successful, not to the ones that have all the accolades and all the nobility, not the elite. This savior is born to the ones that are lowly and destitute. He is the good
0: news born to you because he was born for you. It's not here in Luke, but we can flash back to the previous episode of Matthew 1 that that's why Jesus is Emmanuel. He's God with us and the us is everybody. Uh, It's not, first of all, Caesar Augustus and Quirinius and all the other fat cats and bigwigs of the Roman Empire then or all the fat cats and bigwigs today. It's born for all of us. Born to you, to you, to me, to everybody who, who God calls. But there's one other little detail we sometimes miss. So as we're picking up on little details, we got one more to go. So stay tuned.
1: What does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, even in the playful moments of our lives. You're listening to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney.
0: I'm Scott Jose, and let's do what we do best here on Groundwork Darrell. Let's dig back into Scripture. We're in Luke 2, now picking up where we left off in verse 15. When the angels had left the shepherds and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told.
1: It's beautiful to see that not only did the angels go see what was happening in the story, they were told this good news, they were like, we got to go see what's going on. So they went down and they spread the word When they came back, it was beautiful to see that, but also it was beautiful to see how Mary treasure all these things in her heart, which probably will come up later at some point.
0: Exactly. And again, if Luke did meticulous research for his gospel, as we've mentioned in previous episodes in this series, and he interviewed Mary, that's the kind of thing only Mary could have told. Yes. I treasure those things in my heart. I've been thinking about them ever since, those shepherds. And, and boy, the story they told about the angels, isn't that something? But what's interesting here, we've been picking up on details we slide over. In my preaching class at seminary, I always tell my students, step one when you're writing a sermon is the Bible passage you're going to preach on, go somewhere where you can read it out loud and go super slowly. Break all the reading habits you've ever had and go super slowly because something might pop out at you. And when I did that years ago, as I had a, was writing a sermon for Christmas Day or so, I did a full stop on a line we usually rush over. And that's just this. The shepherds returned. Now, we usually speed over that because we want to get to the next part. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. We punched the glorifying and yeah. praising God for all they had seen and heard. But what about just that much, Gerald? The shepherds returned.
1: Of course we know they're shepherds. They have a job to do. I don't know who they left their sheep with while they were going to see Jesus, but the idea is that they had to return back to what was normal, back to what was their regular life. It's interesting that we often glaze over that actual phrase, but we think about the praising and the worship and all these other good things. But there is a real important message in the fact that they're returning back to what is the normal, what is the ordinary. It's not that they're getting an improved situation, right. a super, better, happily ever after, they're going right back into the mundane repetitiveness of the nine to five that is shepherding. And so that's really interesting to see. Yeah.
0: Back to the fields, back to their tattered tents, their smelly sleeping bags, meager food that they had to cook over an open fire. They went back to what's normal. You know. That's kind of Christmas for all of us. We all every year, you know, those of us in the church, we go back to Bethlehem in our minds and hearts. We visit the cradle of the Christ. We go to the manger. We worship and adore Him. Oh, come, all you faithful, joy to the world, silent night. We sing it all. But then Christmas ends, and we all return to work, to school, to our home where our spouse still has dementia. To you know the ordinary, the mundane. We return. We all do. But the question is, do we return the same or do we return changed?
1: Well, I would say the latter is true, Scott, because in the situation before, the shepherds are doing what they normally do. It's a hard job. It's a lonely job. It's a thankless job. And they continue faithfully doing what they feel called to do. And the angel interrupts the program and speaks to them. So it's really powerful that even in the situation with Mary and Joseph, they are in the backwoods of the world in Mm. Bethlehem and this message comes to them. So they're being noticed by a God who's paying attention to small details. He's not overlooking them, but he sees them and he notices them.
0: The savior has been born to, you. That's again amazing. He's been born to you, to me, to us, to all people, including again these men on the margins of society who went unnoticed. So you just said, God noticed them. That had to be striking for lots of reasons because most people didn't notice them. And if they did, you know, if these uh, shepherds had a, and they probably did, if they ever had to go into town and buy some fruit or vegetables at the market. Well, probably most people, if they noticed them, they noticed them and said, get what you need and get out of here, okay? Because you smell. We don't like associating with you. Get what you need and go. That's how they got noticed by everybody else, but not God, right? They, they were given, wow, Daryl, they were given an all-expenses-paid ticket to the greatest concert in the world, an aria sung by flights of angels in the sky. Wow, how could that not change them? You
1: know, it gives me hope because there have been times in my life where I felt like I haven't been noticed or there have been times when I felt discouraged even though I was doing what God called me to do because life gets complicated when you say yes to Jesus Mm -hmm. but really it's encouraging to know that God says I see you God says I'm paying attention to you God says I know that sometimes you struggle with sins and problems and difficulties but I am actually working out a salvation for you and I'm giving you a gift in my son so it's really powerful that grace can interrupt our program to help us, but also to shine light on us.
0: So hopefully for us, as for those original shepherds, our annual trek to Bethlehem changes us gives us that hope again right so yeah we go back but hopefully we go back like the shepherds did they were drenched with grace they were drenched with glory they were rejoicing and praising god Uh, and hopefully that you know our trip to bethlehem at christmas every year can remind us of the waters of baptism that drench us right that drench us in grace that give us that new identity no matter who we are We are the noticed people. To connect it to the previous program in this series, Daryl, we are the people that receive Emmanuel, that God is with us. And
1: the God that is with us is the one that we are now charged with a message to Mm. tell everyone about. So not only do we return differently, but we return differently with a message that Christ is the hope of the world, that he can speak into situations that are meek, that are meager, that are unfortunate. He speaks to those who have situations that are pushed out on the margins of society Mm. and he notices and he does something about
0: it because he loves us. The shepherds told everybody, and they were amazed. But they're being shepherds, Daryl. I can't imagine everybody bought what they said. Uh, they're shepherds. They're living in the field. They've been out with their sheep too long. They, you know, they probably dreamed these angels. You know, not everybody believed them, but that didn't stop them, right? And so, also, as you said, Daryl, with our witness, not everybody's going to believe us. Not everybody's going to think we know what we're talking about. That's okay. We keep talking about it. We keep telling the good news of Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior born to us. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We are your host, Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and we hope you'll join us again next time as we continue to dig deeply into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. Connect with us at groundworkonline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or to tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next
0: on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit reframeministries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.